Own Your Truth with life strategist Laura T. Real advice for regular people. Now, here's Laura. Hello, and welcome to Own Your Truth with Laura T. I am so excited to be here with you today. This is my first official podcast. If you are a follower of the show, you know I've been doing a radio show for about two seasons now, um, and that has come to an end. And what I've decided to do is put out smaller snippets of information so that they're more easily consumed. And um, I'm also hoping and expecting that I'll be able to get out more information to you. So if you like this, uh, please share it. Please subscribe. I'm so happy to have you with me and happy to share the information that I learn and research. So today I'm going to talk about me versus we. It's a really interesting concept that's been on my mind. You know, as an executive coach, I've really been observing the discourse that's been happening on social media. And whether we're looking at COVID or the upcoming presidential race or any other subject among the infinite list of topics we have to disagree about, you know, the pattern I see is me instead of we in terms of how we communicate with each other. And what's really interesting is although a me-focused culture um, is somewhat understandable, right? Like we look at through the world um, with our own filters. And it's interesting, the increase of social media allows us to curate worlds based on those filters. The me versus we phenomenon actually contradicts our basic community-seeking instinct, meaning that we have a basic instinct within us, um, which means we want to be a part of a group. We want group sharing, and we look for group identity. Um, so some of the things that I wanted to explore today was how did we get here, and what can we do about it in terms of this me instead of we way of communicating? So again, I'm looking, I'm making some observations, and one of the big things that I've observed is that conversations have become these mini monologues instead of a dialogue. And so kind of let's break this apart. With 68% of the population preferring to text over talk, 70% of the U.S. population currently holds a social media account, and an unprecedented unprecedented spike in social media usage since COVID began, most people are using the written word to share their thoughts and feelings. It's really interesting because the challenge is texting and social media, and even when we look at email, they don't allow for meaningful communication, right? Instead of fully engaging in a back and forth dialogue, like when we're talking in person or over the phone, the written word allows us to create and push out what I call mini monologues. And the biggest challenge for that is it lacks emotional context for the receiver. That means the written word as a way of communicating leaves too much room for our own interpretation, our internal biases, and, and even our insecurities. So let me give you an example. I have a client that I'm coaching and um, he's changed jobs three times during the past 18 months. He admittedly has insecurities about how other people, especially friends and family, perceive these moves. And this is despite his own confidence that each one has been good for his long-term career growth. Well, so after a recent uh, exchange with a friend over text, he was actually feeling badly about it. So he described the text to me 
um, and said, you know, the person's response to his most recent career shift was, you know, whatever makes you happy. And notice how I said that. That was the way he described it to me, like this, whatever makes you happy. Now, the honest truth is this was via text. There was no idea how the, um, the energy was meant to be behind this text, but that was his interpretation. So I had said, well, that's really interesting. Give me some context, kind of share with me what was said before and after that text. So he went to his phone, he pulled it up and he looked again and said, oh no, I totally read that wrong. The words his friend actually said were, I'm happy about whatever makes you happy. But because of his own insecurities about making this move, he read it. I mean, the words weren't even the same. Obviously, the intention wasn't the same. And so you can see how when this happens, this mini monologue happens between people who know, like, and trust each other, when a miscommunication can happen between them, it's easy to imagine what happens when strangers are seeing comments through their own lenses. So the question becomes, what can we do about it? You know, in this case, the first suggestion is always, whenever possible, pick up the phone or have a face-to-face -face conversation. So even when he was on the receiving end of this message, in order to find clarity, the easiest way to do that would be to pick up the phone. Um, according to Barbara Fredrickson, a Keenan Distinguished Professor of Psychology at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and author of the book Positivity, she says, if you don't regularly exercise your ability to connect face-to-face, -face, you'll eventually find yourself lacking the basic biological capacity to do so. I mean, think about that. I mean, it's this, if you don't use it, you lose it, right? We hear that quote all the time. If you don't practice face-to-face -face communication, you'll lack the basic biological capacity to do so. This is something that we have to continue to practice. So when text or social media is your only option, right, it's important to step back and be clear about the result you want from your communication. Focus on creating an outcome versus responding to a situation. You know, what happens with text or on social media is this: there's a back and forth. Really think about, instead of responding, what is the result that you want? And don't immediately respond to the information. Take a step back. Make it a habit to take twice as long to think about what you want to communicate in writing which sounds contradictory to why we use text, right? It's fast, we can respond immediately. That's what's getting us into trouble. So take a step back and then write what you want, the message you wanna get across and even leave it again. Revisit it with fresh eyes a few minutes later. This small step will help improve relationships long-term. Okay, so that's idea number one. The second concept I have observed in terms of how did we get here, right? How are we in this place where we have this me versus we in terms of how we communicate? Well, in my observation, it's clear that discussion, I have my air quotes, has become a place to convince instead of a place to hear and learn. So let me explain what that means. Since most communication is happening behind a screen or through a device, we're missing the benefit of a true exchange of ideas. 
you know, again, this idea of the mini monologue approach tends to have us focus on convincing others of our point of view instead of understanding someone else's perspective. So we push out our ideas and those who disagree push back. Well, so according to John Suler, the psych- she wrote a book called The Psychology of the Digital Age. It's a well-known fact that people say and do things in cyberspace that they wouldn't or- ordinarily say or do in a face-to-face world. Although sometimes this disinhibition effect is positive, according to Suler, toxic disinhibition shows up as outspills, rude language, harsh criticism, anger, hatred, and even threats. And we're seeing a lot of that right now online. And so if we go into these situations with curiosity instead of this desire to convince, we're going to come out the other end in a better place. So before I get to that, let me give you um, an example here. So I'm part of a couple of Facebook groups focused on the reopening of schools. In one of the groups, a mother posted a petition for no masks in Connecticut schools. Another member of the group disagreed with the petition and stated, I ask you to just take some time to think about others. We're in this together. So it starts off kind and, you know, communicative. Well, when the petitioner said, of course, I have thought of others and I ask you to do the same, the person who disagreed their response got really ugly. The disgruntled member said, dude, these are adults talking to each other online. Dude, you don't need a petition, you need a science lesson. Then went as far to say, go peddle your crazy elsewhere. Not only will I not sign it, I want it taken down. The petitioner said in her own defense, you know, you're calling for this to be taken down because you disagree. Well, so you could see how it's getting heated, right? At some point, the disgruntled member must have contacted the administrator of the group to um, have it taken down. And because of that conversation, and I don't know whether it happened online or on the phone or in person, but the disgruntled member came back with an apology for responding harshly. And she said, I'm really committed to being kind. What a difference this made. The administrator indicated that she would not... um, she would not limit what people were putting up. Every parent had their position and she really wanted this to be a place where all parents could talk about how they were feeling and advocate for their own beliefs. So when this disgruntled member came back, not only did she come back with this amazing apology, which says a lot about how she, I believe, how she must show up offline, right? She also started a conversation where they, they, her and the person with the petition, started discussing different perspectives and even considered um, a conversation about, you know, maybe we talk about having a time where kids don't wear masks in school so that they can get a break. The, the whole energy around the conversation changed, right? So it's easier to get a sense of another person's perspective when they're sitting in front of us. It's missing when we are online. And I'm going to talk about this in a few minutes, but, you know, we we know we have the best of intentions, and yet we question other people's intentions. And online, without context for who people are, how they show up in the world, and even how they're expressing themselves in that conversation, 
when it's left to our own devices, we're going to create a meaning and often we're creating a meaning to the negative. So what can we do about it? Well, so one of the suggestions, and even this is something I'm practicing myself, that I make is to look for information online that you would disagree with. Doing this on purpose and forcing yourself to find a foundation for understanding among the disagreement helps you put this into practice for when there are incidences like this one where you're involved with someone who disagrees with you. You know, moving away from the disagreement doesn't mean you give up your position. It opens you up for curiosity and appreciation. That's so important, I'm going to repeat it. Moving away from disagreement doesn't mean you give up your position. It opens you up for curiosity and appreciation. So again, this is something you have to practice in order to get better at it, right? We think when we learn something, you know, we'll be able to implement it. But the truth is, unless we've built in the mental muscle to implement through practice, we'll revert to our former habits. And the habits we're currently creating online do not promote empathy and understanding. We need to consistently practice it. And practicing that curiosity will also help. Okay, so me versus we, I've given two examples of ways that I think in observation, you know, we've come to this place where we're focused on me instead of um, communicating in a more we and inclusive way. My final example is when there's, or observation is, when there's a lack of information, the brain fills in the gaps. So Often this is referenced in research related to eyesight and optical illusions, right? So they have studies from lots of different places. Um, very well known are studies from MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, showing that the brain is surprisingly quick to bend reality when normal perception is disrupted. And you know, again, with eyesight, essentially this mean what this means is the brain fills in missing information in a person's blind spot. Well. So similar to the filling in that happens with your eyesight, the brain fills in missing pieces of information when you're reading, when you're thinking, and even when you're recalling a memory. So, you know, they have a lot of tests online where the words are misspelled and yet you're able to read the information correctly because your brain will just fill in the spots where things are misspelled. You know, I often talk about um, recalling memories. If you have memories from your childhood and whether you're talking to your parents or you're talking to a sibling, it's often that those memories are different even though you were all in the situation together. So we can see how this shows up in our regular life. Well, so what does this mean when we're online and we're communicating um, with, with words and text and email? Well, according to Nick Morgan, author of Can You Hear Me? How to Connect with People in a Virtual World, people think others understand their messages 90% of the time, but the actual statistic is only 50%. One example Morgan shares is recipients of a simple two-word email or text such as nice job or great work is interpreted as sarcastic 60% of the time. That's crazy, 60% of the time. And then you assume that nice job or great work is coming from someone they know and it's still being misinterpreted. So 
A big example um, I read in doing research for this was um, a, a writer for the Center for Inquiry um, had talked about how online he had made uh, what he felt was an informational correction. Uh, someone had put that, uh, you know, Trump's administration was a disaster for the EPA's role in the Gold King mine spill. And uh, obviously, in that situation, there were 3 million gallons of mine waste and toxic chemicals released into um, a river, you know, from this mine in South Colorado. Well, so this writer, who is a stickler for the facts, feels he wrote a simple response, which was, you know, I pointed out that Trump wasn't president at the time of the Gold King spill in 2015. Well, so... Again, he felt that his comment was polite and factual and neutral in tone. Well, the assumption on the other side was that he was defending Trump's environmental policies. And you can see how, because there was no context for the correction, it was assumed by the reader, the person who did the original post, that this individual was pro-Trump environmental, environmental position. Now, Regardless of whether you are for or against Trump, that doesn't matter here. It's really looking at the example and how when there's missing information, people will fill it in with their beliefs based on their perceptions. And it may be totally opposite of your intention. So what can we do about it? You know, first, I think it's really important to ask yourself when you're commenting online, what is the result that you want from making your comment? Right? I think really making sure that you're clear on the result becomes important because you're going to base your, your answer or your response or your decide, decision to post is going to be based on that answer, right? Um, I think in this example, it's, it's interesting that if, you, if your goal is to correct the person with accurate information, asking yourself like what is the benefit to the group or larger forum by making this correction right how would i feel if i was on the receiving end of this public correction online um, being clear around your intention is also another way to um, reduce you can't eliminate but to reduce misunderstandings so in this example a small shift in language would be Although I don't agree with Trump's environmental stance, it's important to note for accuracy, the Gold King spill was in 2015 prior to his presidency, right? That would make it a little bit more clear. With that being said, it could also have led to other discussions that it seems this uh, author wasn't interested in getting involved in. He didn't really want to take a position, um, based on the article I read, uh, take a position of, you know, pro or against Envir Trump's environmental policies. It was really just to make a, a, a historical correction. So really asking yourself, what is my intention? What do I want? To, how, how can I benefit um, the person I'm interacting with, the group, with my comments? I think it's really important that we are considering that notion I mentioned earlier, which is we know we have the best of intentions, but we assume that other people's intentions are questionable. And so looking at these three observations and offering these three tips, I hope you can see how easy it is to 
miscommunicate and come across as a me versus a we when we're online. And maybe these can help you reconsider when you're posting something, right? Small shifts can make a huge difference in how we communicate with others. And also rethink how you receive, right? And thinking about other people having the same good intentions you do. I hope this helps. I would love your feedback. I would love your comments. If you want more information like this, let me know. I have lots of time this summer to answer your questions. So go online to the Own Your Truth with Laura T. Facebook page. Give me your feedback and let me know if you have other topics you want me to discuss. Thanks so much for listening today. I look forward to hearing you more online. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.